Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, all right, all right. Hello and welcome to the Yahoo Fantasy Football Forecast, which of course is a podcast. And I'm Scott Pianowski, your every other Tuesday host. And I'm thrilled to be talking to a wise man, a longtime friend of mine, just one of the really bright lights of the fantasy industry. You know Joe Dolan as one of the co-owners of FantasyPoints.com. And, and man, what an all-star team they got over there. You know, John Hansen and Graham Barfield, Scott Barrett. He's, he's along with those guys. And they're doing great work over at Fantasy Points. You've probably heard Joe's work a lot on the Sirius Fantasy Channel. Does a great program on Sundays. Whenever I have to go out for a sandwich on a Sunday, I always pop on Joe and, and he tells me what's going on and, and where all the touchdowns are going. Just a, a great guy in the fantasy industry. And when you want to talk football, you want to talk about life, you bring in Joe Dolan. So hello, Mr. Dolan. I really appreciate that, Scott. It's a wonderful uh, time to be on the show. I, I'm a listener. So here's the here's the funny part. I'm a listener of the Fantasy Baseball podcast because I play fantasy baseball, but I don't know anything about it. I like watching baseball, but I like to have that kind of line of demarcation between enjoyment and um, and and uh, job. So I don't actually work and meddle in fantasy baseball the way that that you certainly do. So I'm a longtime listener of the Fantasy Baseball podcast. As a matter of fact, I got um I, I um, our, our, all of our conversations have basically come through uh, Twitter DMs. I've got to get your digits here because right. I'm going to be the annoying guy who remembers you exist in March. You, you, I'm sure we all have those people in our lives. Mm-hmm. I call them my August friends. Um. I'm going to be your March friend, Scott, because I have a draft on Sunday night. I've already got your uh, opinions on my keepers in my draft, but I, I need uh, I, I need some advice for that Sunday night draft. I'm in one fantasy baseball league. Uh, I can't quit it because I just I love baseball so much, but I certainly do not know anything about it. So hopefully we can dish a little bit on football here, though, which I feel like I have at least a decent grasp. Um, make people sound like I know what I'm talking about. And I'll also tell you that we were talking about golf for about 10 minutes before we even hit record on this podcast. So if, if not for our good producer, Ragu, this could easily be a three-hour conversation. We'll try to cap it to about 50 minutes. And I, I didn't mention in Joe's intro, he's also one of the uh, the most accurate rankers over at Fantasy Pros. I know you've won that overall ranking competition before. And, and maybe if there's time at the end of the show, we'll try to help people become more accurate with their fantasy decisions. But of course, NFL right now, starting their new season, free agency. People are coming, people are going, people are waiting for contracts. And, and the biggest deal of the last few days, we're taping on March 23rd, uh, National Puppy Day, I believe it is. Happy birthday, Fenway. Kenny Galladay decided he had enough of the turmoil of Detroit. He wants the turmoil of the New York football giants. 
And I look at this team now, Galladay, really good set of receivers. Uh, Evan Ingram in name a tight end. He's he's fun. Uh, you know, Saquon Barkley coming off an injury. I'm not sure if the quarterback is any good. Uh, let's talk about the Giants. We'll start with Galladay. Uh, what did you think about the deal and and how does it affect his 2021 fantasy value? First, I was glad for Kenny Galladay getting the bag. Um, sure, I, when I saw what Will Fuller and Juju Smith-Schuster signed for, obviously the fact that Allen Robinson got the franchise tag, when I saw what Corey Davis signed for, I was not anticipating this kind of contract for Kenny Galladay. So obviously he got into free agency and managed to get the deal that it looks like guys like Juju and Will Fuller are, are trying to wait until next year to get when that cap goes back up, when we're in a in a in what will be a mostly post-COVID world. I'll choose to be optimistic here. I think that's what those guys were going for. So I was when I first saw the numbers, I was actually pretty surprised. We know Galladay was an older rookie. I think he's going to be 28 this upcoming season. So he probably viewed this as his last chance to really cash in on a big deal. So I don't blame him for for going to the Giants here, given the money they took. Um, for fantasy, when it comes to Galladay in, in general, I thought it was kind of neutral. And if I had to pick a side, I would lean towards a downgrade. Uh, just simply because I don't think Daniel Jones has shown that he can be talked about in the same tier as Matthew Stafford. I know Stafford has like a weird um, kind of uh, codger of, of haters. Um, and I understand that he hasn't won a playoff game. He's, he tends to turn the ball over sometimes. But the, we know the guy's a high-level talent. He's a super aggressive thrower. And for a guy like Galladay, who's a decent separator, but certainly not somebody you'd put in the Keenan Allen, Stefan Diggs level of route runner, um, I, I think an aggressive quarterback is going to suit him. And and that brings us back to the point you cannot separate Kenny Galladay from the quarterback in Daniel Jones. And I know that's where we're going next, and, and that is the most interesting layer to this onion, in my opinion. What do we think of Daniel Jones? And right now, I'm not sure what I think of Daniel Jones. You know, I, if we give the Giants truth pills and they had to tell us what they honestly, bluntly thought of all their talent, I, I think they might say the same thing about Jones. The surprise, what was he, the number six pick in his draft class, had some moments as a rookie, certainly had the sack problem. You know, last year, it, it was just a strange year in the NFC East. You know, nobody was over 500. And you know, Dallas' season basically ended when Dak had hurt. Uh, Washington got off to a very poor start. They kind of got something going to defense. They really weren't sure what their quarterback situation was going to be. It turns out now it's Ryan Fitzpatrick for a year, which I think is going to be a lot of fun. The Eagles, you know, you're being close to that team. Uh, it was what, awful. A, what a mess yeah. they were with the, the offensive line. was basically all hurt a week into the preseason. And, you know, Wentz lost his way. He's, he's since left the team. So this is one of those things where I, I feel like if you're a fan or you're looking to invest in the NFC East for futures over at BetMGM, something like that, you can probably talk yourself into or out, out of any of these teams. They all have something to sell, including the, the idea that the division's Absolutely. Horrible. But I don't know. I don't know if Daniel Jones is good. But, you know, I'm looking at this depth chart, Joe. Uh, Galladay, we know, is a talent. Sterling Shepard, I, I feel like I, I really get into Shepard like three or four weeks a year, and then he'll get hurt again, and I'm like, what am I doing with this? I like Darius Slayton. I, as a Patriots fan, he's one of the 8,000 receivers I wish they had drafted the last couple of years uh, in, instead of the guys that they ended up with. Maybe we'll sneak in some Patriots talk later. I know that Engram isn't, again, a, he's the tight end in name only. He doesn't have his hand in the ground, but, I mean, he's, he's a talented player. He's a matchup problem, a healthy Barkley. A lot of talented guys. 
can we, Jones has a little bit of mobility. I think the sack problem got a little bit better last year where he was just a, a walking turnover and sack the first year of his career, but I thought it was better at times last year. Do you feel like you're leaning towards this offense optimistically, or it's more like, nah, I don't trust the quarterback. I got to step away from some of these talented guys. Uh, you know, guys. I think I view it kind of, kind of neutral uh, in a way. And I know that's not, that's not takey. It's not spicy. Uh, but, you know, when I was talking about this move with, with our staff, John Hansen is more bullish on Jones than I think I am, than I think somebody like Graham Barfield, who just broke the Galladay deal down for our site, is on Jones. But I also said, you know, I don't think there's evidence right now that he's awful. And I know that that, that's, that sounds like it's damning with faint praise, but I don't see why he can't be a guy. And in, in the context of being a guy, get this offense off to a spot where it's all right for fantasy. Maybe maybe Galladay isn't the fantasy number one he could be in Detroit, but he's a pretty good number two. Maybe Sterling Shepard is a guy who, instead of somebody who bounces around from roster to roster in a fantasy league every year, I always call them those guys the, the, they're the bi-week superstars, the guys who, who make it from team to team whenever they just get picked up and cut because teams need a number three receiver who has a reasonable expectation to catch five passes any given week, and then they dump them when their star comes off the bye week Maybe he's, instead of being that guy, he's a guy who's on your roster as a consistent number five because he's playing in the slot now. Ingram, obviously, given the dearth of talent at the tight end position, is, is, is certainly going to be drafted as a tight end one. Um, but here's the thing about Daniel Jones, and, and, and I think somebody who's going to be bullish on this move, you're going to get the inevitable com- comparisons, and I'm sure giant beat writers, no, no, not knocking them, but I'm sure they've, they've written the, oh, look at the third-year leap that Josh Allen took when Minnesota, when Minnesota traded Stephon Diggs to the Bills. Look at that third-year leap. The problem I have with that is, and, and as bad at times as Josh Allen was his first two years— his highs were always tantalizing. And I don't know if we've seen that from Daniel Jones. I'll fully admit he's more mobile than I thought he was. He's a more um, important part of, of the run game, the Giants run game, than, than uh, I thought he was going to be. But I don't think we've seen the wow from Daniel Jones. Like Josh Allen, his first two years, and then, uh, I mean, certainly this past year, his first two years, I, I he was appointment TV for me because he was either going to do something incredible or something stupid, sometimes on back-to-back plays, and sometimes on the same play. Daniel Jones doesn't have that that oomph. He doesn't have that ticket-selling factor. And I know that in a game where we're playing with numbers, I know that that's not necessarily an analytical way to look at things, but I'm just not sure that a fair comparison can be made for Josh Allen, who, I mean, for my money— outside of Patrick Mahomes, might be the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. And if you take into running ability into account, he might be the most physically gifted quarterback in the NFL. Uh, with Daniel Jones, who I think is probably above average in mobility, above average in size, has a decent arm. I mean, I, I think Daniel Jones is going to be one of those guys who, if he has a, a very good season, he's probably going to peak as like the 10th best quarterback in the NFL. And I think that's a peak for him. Um, but I'm not necessarily down on the offense because I don't think we've seen enough evidence to say Daniel Jones isn't it. I just certainly think we've probably seen more evidence to that end as, as to the side to say that he is it. And uh, look, you and I like to talk music. Let's look at the supporting cast. I don't necessarily think Dave Gettleman has taken the most efficient route 
to the to the supporting cast. I certainly not the analytical route to the supporting cast he's built for Daniel Jones. But uh, to borrow from Uncle Tupelo, he's taken the long cut. Uh, but he's still gotten there. I mean, you look at the talent here. It is it is enough for Daniel Jones. Like if Daniel Jones is a decent to good quarterback, he should put up numbers in this offense. And that is a very circuitous way for me to say, I, as much as I don't love it. I can see myself investing more in Daniel Jones than in some of these individual pieces. I wonder if the setup is right for Jones to be one of my favorite things in fantasy, the player who's more valuable in fantasy mm-hmm. than he is in real life because he can run and he's a willing runner. He's a good athlete. And then we're getting to a point. I mean, one of the biggest stories from last year is just how the athletic running quarterbacks are kind of taking the league over. It's just not that many pocket quarterbacks I'm comfortable drafting anymore to the point that I'm almost making it a mandate that I want something in that rushing column from everybody. So if Jones can, can be su- surrounded by good receivers, if he can maybe put up 400 rushing yards, three to five rushing touchdowns, maybe the giants will be a six and 10, seven and 19 that might have to put up a lot of volume. Maybe we, we it's one of those things where we end the season and go, Oh wow. Daniel Jones was quarterback 11. You had never felt like right. he was inside that quarterback one cut line. But we're just in it for the numbers, so I guess there's a plausible case for that. Let me ask you, I know every every player is different, and you have to look at every set of parameters individually. But I would have told you a year ago, we were podcasting a year ago in the, the dark time that it, that it was a year ago, and thank God 2021 looks more optimistic. Yes. When Diggs went to Buffalo and when Houston made that, oh, let's take the first – Houston did what the worst – manager in your fantasy league does that they take the first trade offer they get and just ship away a great player houston gives away deandre hopkins and i was of the school of i was raised at the idea that okay receiver change in teams you got to give this time there's not going to be otas there's not going to be a regular training camp there's not going to be exhibition games so i was not in on stefan Diggs. uh real real fun having no Diggs last year man the guy the guy blew up the league is one of the best one of the best receivers in football Hopkins had a very good season. He wasn't quite the story Diggs was, but it made me at least think, I I think this idea that I'm going to be nervous when receivers change teams, maybe that's just overrated. Maybe offenses have morphed together where there aren't that many truly unique schemes anymore. They can onboard a lot quicker. Are you, has that, has what Diggs did last year and what Hopkins did last year, has that changed how you feel about free agent receivers changing teams? Is is there even something worth talking about with that? I, I feel for me, Stefan Diggs was a learning moment. Why well, I need to do and, and like, my game. Let, let me look at why I got those guys wrong. Um, because I'm with you in that I got those two guys wrong. I don't know if I applied that umbrella to it. The, oh, they changed teams, ergo, they're going to be overdrafted. You know, when, when I look back on it, and Stefan Diggs was consistently like a fifth, six-round pick. It makes me puke that I wasn't in on that mm, guy. Um, too, my three uh, biggest misses at the wide receiver position. DeAndre Hopkins was pro- he was one of those guys who was like, where he was getting drafted, I was okay with the price, um, but there was just other guys I liked more. I actually liked Allen Robinson more than DeAndre Hopkins, which, you know, in a way, it was kind of a wash, but I would have preferred him. Wash. Jonathan Taylor, I was taking over DeAndre Hopkins at that spot, which, for the full season, bad call. End of the season, all right. But let's look at the the two guys who I missed worse on. And I definitely missed worse on Stefan Diggs. That was number one. But also a guy I want to throw in there, even though he didn't change teams, was Keenan Allen. And I missed big on Keenan Allen. And I think one of the things that I misread on on those two situations was 
Josh Allen wasn't going to change his stripes. The Bills weren't going to change their stripes. Josh Allen will never be a hyper-efficient passer. Ergo, they're going to have a run-heavy, low-volume offense. Justin Herbert or Tyrod Taylor is going to be the quarterback of the the Los Angeles Chargers. They are going to be a run-heavy offense that's going to try to throw the ball downfield and be efficient. They will not be pass-heavy. Ergo, I can't go with a volume-based receiver like a, a Keenan Allen. Kyler Murray, he can run. He likes to throw the deep ball, but... They have other receivers. They have Christian Kirk. They have Kenyon Drake in the backfield. They have Chase Edmonds. They have Larry Fitzgerald. He's not going to see the targets. DeAndre Hopkins won't in Arizona. They're going to run the ball a lot. Ergo, uh, I'm out on DeAndre Hopkins because he's not going to get the target volume. And ultimately, maybe there was a reason Deshaun Watson was was just funneling targets to DeAndre Hopkins because he loves throwing to him. And maybe... You just have to look at the fact that teams go out and get players and they have a vision for them. And and say what you want about the way uh, Cliff Kingsbury is, is running Arizona. They had a vision for DeAndre Hopkins and they used him to the best of his ability. Say what you want. I mean, and I don't think anybody's going to knock the Buffalo Bills now because it's, it's evident that that organization is supremely well run. But say what you want about Josh Allen. They thought he was going to take a step forward. They went out and got a player to help him do that. They threw the ball basically more than anybody in the NFL. That's the question I have with the New York Giants when it comes to Kenny Galladay. It's not that, oh, he's changing teams and he's going from Matthew Stafford to Daniel Jones. It's not that I'm worried about Daniel Jones' stripes. As a matter of fact, according to Next Gen Stats, he threw into a tight window in his rookie season, the third highest of any quarterback, 22% of the time. And last season when he had, I mean, nothing around him with the offensive line, you know, the receivers going down, he still threw into a tight window 13th highest in the NFL. So he's reasonably aggressive enough, which I think bodes well for Galladay. The big question here is, and I have to ask you, do you, what do you think of coaching when it comes in to fantasy football? Because the big question is, is Jason Garrett, who even in like neutral situations last year without Saquon Barkley for virtually the entire season was, was one of the top five most run heavy teams in the NFL last year. Was that a product of Daniel Jones being dinged up? Was that a product of the team just not being very good? Does that change because they got Kenny Galladay? Jason Garrett, is he the guy who has to change his stripes? That's the biggest question for me. I don't want to fall into the trap again, like you said. I don't want to fall into the, oh, Galladay's downgrading from Stafford to Jones, so I am out. And maybe the ADP will bear that out by the time, like, May, June comes around. I'm worried about Jason Garrett more than anything else. And that's my question to you. Is this now, how do you how do you factor coaching into this situation as you analyze these moves? Yeah, that that's a great point. And it really it really makes it where I'm just about ready to buy my buy into this offense a little bit. Then you mentioned Garrett and it's just the, the all the air goes out of the balloon. You know, you know, back to Diggs and Allen for a second. Part of my analysis, and, and again, it looks totally ridiculously stupid now, is I thought about Diggs, the classic great route runner, you know, in the Matt Harmon reception perception. Uh, metrics and all the stuff, all the analysis he does, it, it basically sings a sonnet about how angelic the routes are with Diggs. And I just thought, well, how is that going to play with Josh Allen, who I don't think of as a timing and anticipation accuracy quarterback? I think it was a, you know, DGAF, as you said, he's the greatest highlight in the world on one snap, and then he's like a blooper reel on the next snap. And we saw that in their playoff game two years ago, you know, where they probably should have won that game and they found a way to give it away. Allen got a lot better. But a big part of that mix was Brian Dable meshing these two talents, getting them on the same page, getting them comfortable quickly. 
And it's hard for me to look at Jason Garrett and think, oh, Jason Garrett will make this work where if I had an offensive coordinator that I had faith in, huge part of coaching, yeah. right? I mean, we have to ask ourselves, Carson Wentz looked horrible last year for a lot of different reasons. He was hurt. The line was was terrible. Now he's back with Frank Reich where he had his greatest successes. I mean, he, Carson Wentz was going to be the MVP mm-hmm. if he doesn't get hurt in and December fact, of that year against the, the Rams. He was basically the MVP elect. And so if I had to put Carson Wentz on any football team in the NFL, I'd say give him to the guy who made him play his best football not that long ago. Because I don't trust Garrett, it, it makes me maybe lean away from Galladay. But I really like those the, the stats you were talking about with Jones being willing to pull the trigger even when there's not separation because Galladay is not going to run away from people. Galladay needs to win where it's a 50-50 ball and he high points it or he gets the, the right – angle of leverage and he went you know the defender is going to be in the photo when kenny galladay does what he does and the idea is that he can beat the the defender because he's bigger because he adjusted the ball better so if if i see a jones in the preseason if we even have a preseason who, who's to say right now what the summer's going to look like if i see jones just willing to to really kind of force the ball to galladay and make him that 140 target player that would make me proactive i guess Correct. towards galladay in draft season right now Jason Garrett's probably the tiebreaker for me. I'm probably going to be a little bit under consensus on Galladay for whatever a March discussion means. Obviously, these things are fluid. Free agency isn't done yet. We have the whole NFL draft to come. Players will get hurt in the summer and spring and all that stuff. But right now, I probably lean out against Gall- on Galladay, and it's mostly because I just don't trust Jason Yeah, and Garrett. I think that that's where I lean to. Um, just, uh, like, I, again, I think Daniel Jones is perfectly aggressive enough. And, you know, I think there's the, this tendency where you have, to, you have to be on either side of the seesaw when it comes to one of these, oh, Daniel Jones is going to be good or he's going to be awful. You know, if Daniel Jones is just okay, I think Galladay is going to be fine. And I think I, I think the 75th percentile of outcomes will probably lean on Daniel Jones being just okay um, based on the sample size that we, we, we've been given. But I, I just don't know, especially with Barkley back, by the way. Barkley's coming back, and Jason Garrett, we already know he was run heavy in neutral situations with a terrible team and Wayne Goleman leading his backfield. So I, I think the Giants are going to be better. I think that's going to help matters. Um, but ultimately when, when I look at the money that was offered out here and I'm not blaming Kenny Galladay for taking it, but when I look at the money, this says to me, Kenny Galladay is like, man, I am getting paid. It doesn't matter where I'm getting paid. Uh, and, and good for him for fantasy. I'm a little lukewarm on the move. It's not something I hate the way I hate the Kenyon Drake move to the Raiders, but it's just something I'm just lukewarm on. I would have preferred to see him go somewhere else, but let me just throw a hypothetical out to you. I know this is your podcast, but I, I like talking with you. Where would you be in the if Galladay landed with what I think the world would probably agree is a better offense, but with the Baltimore Ravens, where would you be for fantasy? Because that's a better offense, but obviously a completely different one. And everybody's like, why couldn't he go to the Ravens? And I'm like, I'm not sure how much better I'd feel about him for fantasy, if at all, if he was in Baltimore. Yeah, I just don't think the Ravens offense is ever going to be designed where a receiver is going to get the type of volume that you can make him a proactive early pick. I, he'd almost have to be a wide receiver three for me just because of the way things are structured there. But I mean, Baltimore is the knuckleball offense in the NFL. They're so much different than every other team in the league. I like Greg Roman. I, I thought he kind of lost his way a little bit in the second half of last year and had to make some adjustments. I mean, it wasn't that long ago. What, have they led the NFL in point differential two years in a yeah. row? I mean, they were the favorites to win the Super Bowl the first year where Kansas City won it, you know, um, 
two years back, which man feels like five years ago. And then last year, you know, they had hits and misses, the horrible game against New England in the rain. And Jackson couldn't do anything right for a few weeks. Then he had that great Monday night comeback. You know, the, the bathroom game, did he throw up? Did he did he have a, a bathroom issue? <laughs> I don't really want to go into that. But, it, man, what a great football game it was. And, and, you know, the Browns, it was so fun to see the Browns relevant again, too. I, Galladay, it would have been hard for me to, to talk myself into Galladay in Baltimore just because I just don't think the volume would have been there. But you also said something that I think is really important. One reason why you're one of my favorite fantasy analysts and just people in the space Things aren't always binary. It's not, it's not going to be, hey, I'm all in on this. Hey, I'm all out on that. There will be some things we, you feel that way about. But a lot of this stuff is gray. And a lot of this stuff is going to change. And a lot of the things that we say today, I could have a conversation with you in, in three or four weeks and feel differently. Because Absolutely. I've, you know, I, I heard a stat Graham Barfield said. Or you know, I, I saw some, some data that I hadn't realized. Or, or you know, some, maybe some sound bites have changed my mind. Although a lot of times I'm pretty skeptical of that. So this is, this is all fluid. And sometimes people will say to me in October, oh, why are you promoting this guy? You hated him in August. And I'm like, you know, two months in the NFL? That's like a year. Mm-hmm. You know, we have to constantly be changing our opinions and reevaluating and trying to figure out where the ball's headed and not get tied or anchored to our previous feelings about certain players. And with that, let me translate. Uh, translate. Let me jump over to Juju Smith-Schuster, who I, I thought – the divorce was final. I thought they were breaking up. I thought that the stuff was in a box and it was ready to go. And you know, the, the Steelers have a lot of talent at the receiver position, a lot of young talent. And, well, they're going to run it back for another year. So Juju's still there. Ben Roethlisberger's still there. Uh, Chase Claypool at moments was a really explosive player last year, but he didn't always get the snap share. I know everybody seemed to like Deontay Johnson in his second year. And he's kind of an up-and-down year. James Washington's not a bad football player either. What do you make of Juju sticking around, and, and how do we sort through a very talented but cluttered wide receiver? Group? I was ready uh, for for, th- for this breakup too, um, and I think I think everybody in the fantasy industry was as well. But you know, it kind of makes sense for Juju as well. Remember, just two years ago, and obviously we we already discussed the cap issue with COVID, and I think that certainly plays in. But man, could you have imagined two years ago? Juju Smith-Schuster, 22 years old, coming off, what, 118-catch season, whatever it was. Could you imagine me saying to you, he's going to stay relatively healthy the next couple years, and he's going to have to take a one-year contract? That isn't the franchise tag. I mean, he's, what, 24 years old at going to get his first uh, free agent contract, and he had to get his one year. But it just goes to show that over the last two years, maybe – that volume where Juju was the, the the slot master, maybe there's just teams just don't view him as a special talent rather than somebody who thrived in that role. And and I don't I think it, it's obvious looking at the Pittsburgh Steeler offense in 2019, certainly when you have Duck Hodges and Mason Rudolph throwing the football. Um, but then in 2020, even with Ben Roethlisberger staying relatively healthy all year, the offense was broken and. They had no run game. The offensive line was was probably the worst it's been in a while for Roethlisberger. Uh, and they don't have anything developing down the field. There were stretches where Chase Claypool, not to say that he was a special you know, kind of player, but certainly he gave them a dynamic that they didn't have otherwise where he would just disappear. Randy Fickner, the offensive coordinator, just like he wouldn't be out there on the field. And yet you're asking yourself, what the hell's going on out there? Um I'm just not sure with the way I look, made, saw Ben last year, with the way this team ran offense, that I'm overly optimistic about 
Pittsburgh uh, offensively and certainly Juju. And this might come down to the fact of which of these receivers is going to be the cheapest. And quite honestly, I wouldn't be shocked if by the time August rolls around, Chase Claypool's going ahead of Juju in drafts just because I, I think people chasing that that um, upside, knowing that Claypool was kind of a raw prospect coming out, but he was the guy who was their deep threat, uh, 13A dot, you know, stuff like that, whereas Juju and Deontay Johnson were basically extensions of a non-existent run game. But then I have the, the, the other thought is, there is no way Pittsburgh is not going to have a better run game this year. It's probably, it's, it's next to impossible they won't. Um, whether they sign... Leonard Fournette, which I, as we talk right now, is still unsigned. I doubt that's going to happen. Or if they draft a Najee Harris or a Travis Etienne, I think they're going to be in the market for one of those top backs in the draft. They're going to have a better run game. And if they do have that better run game, we know how Mike Tomlin ultimately wants to play. Their defense we know is good. Is there not going to be that volume here? And can Juju then become more efficient? Uh, we liked him for fantasy because, well, two years ago, he was both efficient and volume, which is going to, which is going to have those incredible fantasy seasons like we just saw Stefan Diggs have. But last year, if Juju wasn't getting volume, it wasn't happening. If Deontay Johnson wasn't getting volume, it wasn't happening for him. Fortunately, the volume came most games, but I, I'm, I'm, Still just a little bit worried. You fire Fickner, but you promote from within with Matt Canada. Not exactly the most exciting of hires. I'm just afraid that Pittsburgh offense is going to look the same. The short pop passes. And with that defense being as good as it is, I'm just not sure it's going to support the volume that Juju is going to need to get back to his 2018 levels of offense. I I was really hoping for the target tree to thin out here in Pittsburgh, and it obviously didn't. Yeah, I, I was too. And, you know, where Roethlisberger's at at this stage of his career, there used to be a time where Pittsburgh, if they had to throw it 600 times, that wasn't a big deal. Roethlisberger was comfortable holding the ball, extending plays. And what did we see last year? He couldn't wait to get the ball out. It was like three steps, get rid of it. We know he doesn't like to to run out of shotgun. So they're, they're like the one you know, uh, dinosaur in the NFL who's, who's still under center just about every snap. And it was hard to watch them. Uh, I think I needed them one week in Survivor, and they got behind the Bengals on a Monday night. And I was watching the game. I'm like, this is so painful to watch. I want to turn the game off. You know, I do this for a living. I'm a football fan. I'm generally, I'll watch every snap. I don't care. There's something I want, I'm interested in. The Steelers were making my eyes bleed. That was the game so they lost, when this, right, on Monday night? Yeah, they lost yeah. to the Bengals, yeah. Yeah, and they ha- and it got to the point where they got the ball late in that game. They got, they got outplayed soundly for three quarters. They made a semblance of a quarter of a comeback in the fourth quarter. And then they got the ball for a final minute possession where usually the because they need to score a touchdown, I believe, you would think there'd be some cheap passes, uh, you know, some really easy completions. They get some garbage time production, uh, as, as John, you know, pretty much coined that phrase, uh, your, your man, John Hansen. And Cincinnati's like, no, no, we're going to press on the outside because you can't run past us. And if you can, Roethlisberger can't deliver the ball. We don't fear you. We're not the least bit afraid of you. And I thought, man, it's. It's time to reboot this whole thing. I think it's time for Roethlisberger to retire. I guess time to Juju to go somewhere else. And this was not a get the band back together offense for me. And I look around at that division. Baltimore still got a lot of talent. The Browns finally got something going. Cincinnati can't be any worse than they were last year. If they can get an offensive line to, to protect Joe Burrow, it's really hard to watch that. And I, and I hope Burrow can can be ready for opening day. I'm not sure how that rehab's going, but obviously a major injury. But I think we might finally be it, – it's such a shame because the Steelers could easily have the the best defense in football. It's certainly in the top five. 
But I think we might finally see a Pittsburgh team that bottoms out and yeah. goes six and ten or seven and nine. And you wonder how much of that running back run run it back situation is because of the pandemic. Like I I still can't imagine, even with the down last couple years, again, Juju, 24 going on 25, which is so young for a premium position player to, to go into his first uh, uh, free agency class. I still can't imagine that if the salary cap was going to be as high um, as it, it could have been if there was no pandemic. I can't imagine he would have had to take a one-year deal. Um and you just wonder if it was a marriage of convenience here. You're just like, well, let's just hit the reset button and act like last year didn't happen. I mean, you know what's funny? We're talking about Pittsburgh like this. This is the last remaining undefeated team in the NFL last year. You know, we're acting like they just had this garbage season. Turns out, I mean, what I think they ended up losing five of their last six or six of their last seven, including the playoffs. But, I mean, they were 11-0 and at one point, and... Um, it, smoke and mirrors though that was, uh, it, it's kind of funny we're talking about it like this, that it's so preposterous that they decided to run it back. But, you know, it, more to your point with Roethlisberger and the way the Bengals played him, I remember at the end of last season texting a couple of my buddies, you know, I'm, I'm from southeastern Pennsylvania and I have buddies I have Yinzers out from Western Pennsylvania who are buddies of mine. Uh, I went to Penn State, so obviously you have the culture mashup there, uh, the Wawa Sheets fight. Wawa forever, by the way. Um, and uh, But I'm, I'm on a text chain with them because uh, m- uh, actually a, a significant part of my best friends are Pittsburgh Steelers fans. And I said, to, to, I said, boys, including Tom Brawley, who I work with at Fantasy Points, I said, you need the Steelers to win one game tomorrow. Who do you take? Ben Roethlisberger or Ryan Fitzpatrick? And they unanimously said Fitzpatrick. And that's how down, like, I think, like, Steeler fans are on Ben right now. And I don't know if if, if it's Ben. Ben's always had this kind of weird buddy-buddy relationship that kind of Matthew Stafford has had with his offensive coordinators in Detroit, where it seems like when, when Ben has an offensive coordinator that he likes, the offense kind of isn't as good as it can be, almost like he needs that bad cop. Um, it, 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 and I, I don't know if Matt Canada is going to be that, but it, it, it had been reported that Randy Fickner and Ben were pretty tight. So it, is, is Canada going to be somebody who's a young coach? Who's going to, is he going to be somebody who's going to come in there and say, we need to do it this way. We need to throw the ball to Claypool or James Washington down the field a little bit more. We need to hit Ebron down the seams and we need to not just use these three, four yard passes. I don't know if that's going to happen. I did not like seeing Pittsburgh promote from within, but of course they were running it back. That probably wasn't going to be the, the most appealing offensive coordinator job for somebody who's like, all right, I'm going to have to do this for one year and then I'm going to have to rebuild the offense. Um, it, it's just a weird situation to run it back. And, but then I look at last year when I was super high on that offense and I was drafting guys all over the place. Um, I, I, I'm not going to take the L on Deontay. I thought he was going to be more explosive than he was, but he was generally a pretty good player for fantasy, but Juju was a bust. Um, James Conner was obviously a bust. He was horrible. Ben was, Ben was okay. I guess. Um, I wonder if, 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 that offense is going to swing to people are too down on it now. Um, I, I'm i not totally familiar with the early ADPs yet. Uh, for full disclosure, I don't do best ball until after the draft. That's just the way I prefer to Me do too. it. Um, Me too. Uh, 
but I wonder if people are going to be too down on that offense and maybe I can buy a dip. Um, but uh, th- that dip is going to be there for a reason. I don't see a real reason to be super optimistic. Um, I would be a little more optimistic though if Pittsburgh added an offensive lineman in the first round of the draft. And I think they should be in a position to get a tackle there, which would certainly help them. Yeah, I would agree. That would be a great way to go when they start fortifying their roster. Cause I, I don't think there's anything wrong with the receiver skill talent, but that running game needs to get fixed. And I would address the line first and then maybe think about a, a running back in the third or fourth round. We're talking to Joe Dolan, one of the co-owners at fantasy points and, and just a, one of the stalwarts of the fantasy football industry. You mentioned Penn state. I thought you had Penn state. Yeah. I, I wasn't positive of that, but I was pretty sure. I just want to clean up something I should have asked you earlier. Barkley's had a couple of strange seasons after taking the NFL by storm when, when he came into the league. Yeah. Just what's the state? Give me, we don't talk about this for 10 minutes, but what's the state of the Barkley address from, from somebody who, who's watched him closely going back to his days at, uh, at happy, yeah, you know, and this is going to open up, uh, the can of worms that I don't think you or I is too excited to, uh, get into, which is the running back value. Um, uh, argument and, and, but I mean, it's hard not to, juxtapose that with what I'm about to say. I would like to see Saquon on a better team because I I think his value is not that he can't be a bell cow because he's obviously big enough. He's strong enough. He has the talent to do so. Um, But he is much more of that big play kind of back. He is much more of your Barry Sanders than he is your Emmett Smith. Like he's, He's much more of that splash kind of player. And I know, you know, Barry was obviously a bell cow back, but I've, I've wanted to see him on a better team with a better offensive line. Um, not even necessarily a better quarterback, but that would then of course go back to the argument where the giants, the giants got the, uh, the giants got the, the Chrome rims when they needed a, when they needed a foundation. Um, and, and, and I think that's, uh, that is fair to bring up, uh, Barkley, to me, I actually think I, I think he's due for a good bounce back season. We our injury a- analyst at, at Fantasy Points, Edwin Porras, uh, seems to think he's going to be just fine uh, with the with the uh, progress that we've made with ACLs. The fact that it was relatively early in the season, um, if he's in the middle of the first round, I'll be buying on Saquon Barkley. There's no two ways about that because it's hard to it's hard to think that. Um, you know, Andrew Thomas is in his second year. They restructured the Nate Solder deal. Kevin Zeitler's gone, which is a big loss for them. But the offensive line should be okay. Um, and you know Galladay is going to open up more room there. I want more of those splash passing game plays. And again, it gets back to Garrett. Is Garrett going to be too stubborn in terms of running Barkley behind uh, on inside zone behind a mediocre offensive line? When really, he should be acknowledging that if you drop back 60% of the time, Saquon Barkley can be more effective in your offense than if you're just handing the ball off to him. And there's my big hurdle with with the Giants as it comes to Jones, as it comes to Galladay, and now as it comes to Barkley. Are you going to be using these guys in the most efficient ways possible? Barkley, if Barkley was used less as as a grinder, which they overused him as, and more as like that Alvin Kamara kind of dynamic playmaker, I think people would have a, a little bit of a different view of that pick. You know, I, I think most teams with their uber-talented running backs, however many there are in the league, I, I never understood why you don't want to throw all of these guys 65, 70 passes anyway. Get them outside the numbers, have them tackled by the lighter defenders, not the heavier defenders. 
I think of players like Tomlinson, players like Marshall Falk. What was the key to their longevity? They weren't running between the tackles 20 times a game. They were on outside the number. You know, Tomlinson would catch anywhere between 80 and 100 balls. Falk was that type of player. A lot of things are at play. I mean, a player's diet, what, what the workout your regimen is like. You have to get lucky to be, to be injury-free in the NFL, too. I mean, because you know, any one hit can do it. You, you can slip on the sidelines. It can be a number of different things. But I think it, it would be very wise for the Giants to – to feature Barkley significantly as a pass catcher. And again, you know, what's more frustrating than, than watching the, at the goal line, a jumbo package, there's a mass of humanity. They try to run the ball up the middle and there's no space and the play loses a yard. It's like yeah. that play was dead. The it, moment it's it's okay it. to run at the goal line, by the way. I still, I, yes, I, I'm one of those, I'm one of those guys who believes in analytics, but still believes handing Marshawn Lynch the ball at the goal line was the right call. Uh, like, you know, right. I, like there, there is that two ways. Uh, they should have done that. But, like, running the ball at the goal line is great if you spread out the formation. Spread out the and, formation. And like, Absolutely. You know, you find a running back who – I always look back to Matt Forte, who, like, the Bears, year after year after year, tried to just pound in this goal line. He was, one, I think, historically one of the worst goal line backs ever, and they never changed what they did. Three tight ends on the field. You got a, you got an eighth back in motion. You try to lead block, and Matt Forte never scored a damn touchdown at the goal line. But he was one of the best receiving running backs in the league. Spread it out. Let him let him find the crack to get through. Don't make him jump over the top. So I totally agree with you. Like Saquon Barkley should be used more like a Camara. Not to say that he can't handle fifteen to twenty touch uh, carries per game. I just don't know if I if I trust Jason Garrett to to uh, to use him that way. And that's kind of been the subject of our conversation here. You talked about Pittsburgh. How it's like, hey, remember these guys were undefeated. These guys were, you know, one of, one of the Super Bowl contenders. They ended the season very poorly. And really, what they were is the version of of the Patriots the last Tom Brady season. Right? They were undefeated deep into that year. They were actually favored at Baltimore on that Sunday night game, which sounds kind of crazy now. Crash landed. Uh, they lose in Week 17 to to Fitzmagic and the and the Dolphins that cost them the first round by. Then they lose to to Tennessee. Back when I, I don't think everybody really took Ryan Tannehill seriously yet, I think we finally come around to the idea that he's actually a pretty damn good football player. But the Patriots, it's they're in a weird spot right now where they just went seven and nine. Uh, Cam Newton had a couple of good games, caught COVID, and you know I, I'm not going to be anything but reverent to you know what anybody went through the COVID yeah. experience. I mean, you know, Cam said it affected him the rest of the season. It certainly seemed reflective in his play. I'm not a doctor. I don't want to pretend I know the ins and outs of his physical makeup, but it sure seemed like that's a viable excuse for why Cam Newton was not good for you know, whatever it was, 10 weeks. So where are we with New England now? They come off a losing season. Bill Belichick, talk about a guy who said, I'm going to get my guys. I don't care about ADP. He went out and, look, I think we all like Johnny Smith and Hunter Henry. Uh, paid Nelson Aguilar a contract. I don't think anybody really understands. Aguilar is one of those guys, if you want to make him look good, you can cut off the highlights to make him look really, really good. Yeah. If you want to make him look like a stiff, you can do that too. He sure dropped a lot of passes last year. Kendrick Bourne got a big contract. It's just to me, it's hard to reconcile. Bill Belichick's the best coach of my generation. He may, you could argue he's the best team sports coach of all time. He's in that conversation. Whoever, whatever six or seven names you would have to run through, you would have to say the name Belichick. He has not drafted well for several years. He made some kind of puzzling moves. I can talk myself into the tight ends. I'm not sure how I feel about the receivers. I'll just make this a very open ticket for you. You go anywhere yeah. you want. What's your state of the Patriots right um, now? Bizarre. Um, 
hopefully, uh, at, at least as we stand right now, Scott, they're going to be a more fun team to watch than they were last year because they were a tough watch from top to bottom, including Cam Newton. You know, the COVID thing is something where you don't want to, you know, you can't compare a case to a case, right? Lamar Jackson had it and was like basically better after it than he was like Nick might not have had any symptoms. Cam Newton said it affected him the rest of the season might be affecting him. Now we see someone like Rockwell Armstead who was in and out of the hospital, you know, might never play football again. So you don't want to look at it on a binary case like that. I think you have to build that into your analysis, but you also have to look at the fact that Carolina cut the guy. Like they cut the guy for Teddy Bridgewater who, yay, you know, talk about, we, we, we talk about, talk about just a guy, Teddy Bridgewater. Like, you know, the, like when we were talking about Daniel Jones, can he be a guy? Well, Teddy Bridgewater is the definition of a guy. Um, but they cut him for that uh, for that reason, and you know his tape was awful. You you cannot reconcile that. Like the tape is and the numbers were both awful. Like you might be able to go and pick out a couple of plays that Cam say, see, you know, there you are, Peter. Like uh, I got you. You know, there there there's the MVP Cam. But the tape was awful. And the numbers were awful. Those are two facts. The supporting cast might have been more awful than both the tape and the numbers, and that is also something that's really that you have to bake in. That supporting cast, whether you like the moves or not, it is improved. Um, they clearly want to yes. play twelve personnel; it's going to be their foundation. They just paid eighty million dollars to two tight ends, so they're going to play twelve personnel. I also think it's a bit disingenuous to look at somebody like John U. Smith and say, "Well, you know, he's never had five hundred receiving yards in a season." Okay, fact, but he was into block on half of the Titans' passing snaps last year. So he's running routes on only half of their passing snaps. Not half their snaps in general, half of their passing snaps, which speaks to losing Taylor Luan. Their first-round pick, Isaiah Wilson, was a complete no-show now for two teams. So, you know, they 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 needed to adjust their offense. So I think that's unfair to Johnny Smith to, to kind of just say, well, you know, he's never reached 500 yards in the season. You have to contextualize that. Um, and when it all circles back to is Cam, but I'm not willing to sit here and say right now that I think Cam's a good bet to start even half of the, of the Patriots games. And that's not a COVID thing. That's not an injury thing. That's an, I'm not sure Cam's going to be their starting quarterback thing because you know, Scott, Bill Belichick, is going to try to do something. You know he's going to sit there uh, on draft day, and he's going to look at the picks that he has down the line, and he's going to look at the fact that I've got two tight ends. I've got, you know, uh, they've got uh, uh, Damian Harris, who actually had an underrated season in the backfield, would have not have been as underrated if Cam Newton wasn't stealing all the rushing touchdowns. Um you, you, you've got now at least some speed on the outside with Aguilar and a possession guy in Bourne, who evidently they valued more than the rest of the NFL did. Um, I think Bill Belichick is sitting there. He's watching what's going on in his division with Josh Allen. He's watching the Baltimore Ravens. He's watching, uh, you know, Mahomes is such a unicorn, but he's watching everything that's going on around the league. And I guarantee you, Bill Belichick He's he's had some dreams about Trey Lance. I, I I just have this vision. Everybody's like, oh, he's gonna go for Mac Jones, and maybe. 
But I just feel like Belichick has had visions of Trey Lance in his head, and I just cannot shake that feeling. I cannot shake it at all. I mean, if Cam Newton signed that contract, uh, you look at the structure of that contract, it is not the contract of somebody who's guaranteed a starting job. Like Ryan Fitzpatrick and Andy Dalton got more guaranteed money, I believe. Um, So you look at that contract, and, and you know Cam Newton isn't signing that. At least he shouldn't have signed this thinking, well, I'm guaranteed the starting job. Like, he shouldn't have done that. So I, I just feel like Belichick has that trick up his sleeve. And maybe that's just a dumb anecdote because, like you said, he's one of the top. You, you have to talk about him in the same breath you talk about a Phil Jackson or a Red Auerbach or or a Casey Stengel or somebody like that. You know, you have to talk about him in that same breath. Um, but maybe that – but it just feels like he is not satisfied with the way last year went. Look at the money they spent. You know it rankled him that Brady won the Super Bowl. Like, I I mean, you know it rankled him that Brady was like, you've done a crap job putting this team around me. I'm going to go and be the final piece for a team that's already built. He was. He won the Super Bowl. I I feel like Belichick just has something else up his sleeve. And that's why this team is so hard for me to evaluate. Because even if they have a rookie quarterback, well then, what does that mean? Last year, Justin Herbert surprised the world. You know, Trey Lance is going to come in and everybody's going to say, oh, yeah, I, I, I'm laughing at all these mock drafts right now. You see Justin Fields and Zach Wilson, and everybody knows Lawrence is starting day one. But you see all the Fields and Wilson and Lance get picked, and everybody always writes, oh, it would be better served to sit for a year. It's not happening. It's not happening. It's not going to happen. If Trey Lance ends up in New England, he's going to start uh, at some point. Um, so that's why it's tough for me with New England. Um but at the very least, I saw a team that was reasonably competitive at points last year, and that was with awful quarterback play, with awful uh, receivers uh, uh, around them. I have to imagine they're going to be a much better team this year because there is a vision here with the 12 personnel, and I think Jonu Smith was was emblematic of that. That that This is a guy who's going to help us run the offense we want to run, so we're going to pay him more than anybody else is going to pay him because we know how to use this guy. And remember, they had all those COVID opt-outs. They just didn't have anything close to the version of defense they would have had in a normal season. As crazy as it might sound, I thought Belichick actually did a really good coaching job in a year they went 7-9. I mean, Cam Newton threw eight touchdown passes. Tom (laughs) Brady threw more touchdown passes in the playoffs than Cam Newton threw in 15 starts. I maintained last year. I I remember um, uh, the, the great ESPN writer Bill Barnwell does the thing where he ranks all the skill talent. And I don't remember the exact ranking he had for New England. It might have been 21st or 22nd. And I posited, not, not to challenge Bill on, on any means because Barnwell's a very smart guy, that if the Patriots could trade all of their skill, meaning wide receivers, tight ends, and running backs, with any other team, they should do it. And people would be like, well, what about Washington? Well, yeah, Terry McLaurin, done. And, Terry Antonio McLaurin Gibson. and seven people I've never heard of. Now they have Antonio Gibson, it turns Logan, out. Yeah, Logan Thomas. A a you know, player, too. Like, but yeah. Right, yeah, Logan Thomas looks like something, too. But even the teams that quote unquote didn't have great skill talent had that one or two players that that might be you know kind of generational yeah. that I'd want to get my hands on. So I, I thought the Patriot divorce with Brady it was like Brady needed to go somewhere where they could support him. Yeah. And the New England didn't have that. New England needed to have a, a new plan. It, they they that was a divorce that made sense. Where it's like you know you guys shouldn't be married anymore. You have different goals. You have different immediate goals. You have different long term goals. And I'm really curious to see. I, I get why they brought Newton back, but I'm with you. I, I don't think he's by any means solidified as – I think there's a good chance that the person who makes the majority of the starts for this team next year Isn't even on is going to be somebody they draft. Yeah. And, and I'm with you, man. If they take a first-round quarterback, I think it would be a lot of fun. 
Let me ask you about AJ Green. I talked about being willing to change the rules of of wide receivers changing teams and you know try to be open minded. But I also have a theory with receivers when they hit certain arc of their career that once the cheese goes bad, don't bet on it going good again. And for whatever reason, AJ Green, something happened on the way to the Hall of Fame. He was drafted the same year as Julio. They were both great right out of the box, thousand yard seasons, year in year out. You know some Bengals teams were okay. You'll make that playoff run, lose in the first round, but whatever. They're respectable. You're on some other Bengals teams that were horrible. There's been kind of some culture problems there with management, some of the cheap things they've done with practice fields. Maybe it just went, maybe the whole organization thing went wrong for A.J. Green, but he's had trouble staying on the field. At least he's on a new team now, on Arizona. I'm not a Kingsbury guy. I don't know how many Kingsbury guys are out there. Certainly not me. Uh, Kyler Murray's a great athlete. He's still a work in progress as a quarterback. Are you willing to be optimistic about a comeback season for Green? Or do you think it's more? And again, it doesn't have to be binary. There can be a lot of gray here. But I'm just curious which way you're leaning on the Green story in Arizona. Uh, I'll buy if it's like 15th, 16th round of a best okay. ball. And, and Basically cheap. Yeah, yeah, just free. And, and I mean, but like, here's the problem I have with AJ Green. You look at like, you know, the, the, the catch rate. I mean, for a guy who was on his way to Canton and and now it is for wide like, Tory Holt's still not in the Hall of Fame. Like given how hard it is for wide receivers to get into the Hall of Fame, um you know, that's a that's a huge question right now. 45.2% catch rate last year. His yards per target was down at 5. Previous low was 7 and a half um for AJ Green. And then you look at the fact that Tyler Boyd had a very good season. Um T Higgins had a great rookie season. This, Love Tyler this isn't something where you can just sit there and say, well, you know, the situation was bad. God, so, yeah, I mean, it wasn't good. Joe Burrow got hurt. The team stunk. I thought they did a really bad job uh, supporting Joe Burrow on the offensive line. I was I, I not to rehash what Cincinnati did last offseason, but I was utterly floored they didn't draft an offensive lineman. Like, I, I mean, I just I thought it was going to be, frankly, Scott, I, when I said they're going to take Burrow number one and then I said Bengal fans. Just to anticipate a boring draft, offensive line and defense. They didn't do that. I was surprised by that. Um, you know, Higgins obviously was a player they loved. They you wouldn't take that back, but he had success. Higgins had success. Tyler Boyd had success. AJ Green was the worst receiver in football last year by by most reasonable metrics right now. Um, so I, I have a hard time going to say to Arizona and saying, "Oh, he's getting an upgrade at quarterback," because you know I'm not. 100% sure he is. Kyler Murray's certainly done a lot of great things for our game. Um, he's going to be a top two or three pick at, at the quarterback position in our game. But I was kind of viewed Kyler Murray as somebody who was very similar from his rookie to his second season, which means that he was a good player, but I thought he was a splash player. He wasn't somebody who I'm like, who put together consistent games. Um, now, he can certainly take that step forward. We talked about this with Daniel Jones. How much do you want to bet on the Josh Allen factor here? How much do you want to bet a guy taking a, a, a preposterous third-year leap? Murray needs to take less of a leap than Jones needs to, I think, to be a high-end player. But it, there's still a lot of questions there. And Green is coming off an awful season. And you have to keep in mind that awful season is the only football he has played in the last two years. So that is the only sample size we have on A.J. Green since the 2018 season. He has played 16 games in the last two years, and he's averaged five yards per target over that span. And, I mean, I 
he just looked cooked. He looked cooked to me. And I, I think he's going to have a better year, but that's, I do not want to, I'm not betting on that age 33 season, new scenario, new team. I think he'll be better, but I am not betting on him having a resurgent year by any stretch of the imagination. I will co-sign to that. We're almost at the end of time with Joe Dalton of Fantasy Points, one of my favorite people in the fantasy industry. And I, I guarantee if, if you follow Joe's work and you follow him on Twitter and you, you subscribe to Fantasy Points, it will give you a better chance of being successful in your fantasy football endeavors. Let's go super quick speed round on this. I'm looking like tweet length answer at most. I'm going to ask you something, give you top of your head. Is it yes. finally Tyler Higby season now that Everett is gone? I, I was in on Higby before last year. It turned out to be bombastically horrible. Uh, you green light, red light, yellow light on Higby. Uh, yellow light only because I'm scared that they drafted Bryson Hopkins with the full anticipation that Gerald Everett was going to leave in, fa- in fantasy, uh, in free agency. Okay. Uh, I think everybody loves AJ Brown on some level, but now that Smith is gone, Corey Davis is gone, of course they will fortify those positions, but is this finally like the 150 target season we've been waiting for with AJ Brown? Yes, it is. He's going to be a second round pick and it should be a second round pick. Josh Reynolds is there, but uh, nice late round pick, but uh, no, it's 150 t- target time for AJ Brown. You have been one of the best, most accurate, most consistent rankers on Fantasy Pros. Without giving away all the special sauce, just throw us a bone. Give us a tidbit. What? What? We want to make better decisions with our fantasy teams. Just give, give us maybe something that might, people might be well, overlooking. Well, one thing I would say is don't overrate rankings um, because uh, – and I'm, this is going to be longer than a tweet-length answer, sure, no answer Scott. I apologize. But uh, – um, Running back 21 isn't necessarily better for the full season, isn't necessarily better than running back 33. Because if running back 33 gave you six spike weeks and running back 21 gave you one, but just happened to be more consistent and get more playing time throughout the year, uh, running back 33 was a better player than that. So I think when you look at rankings and you look at them in, in that, oh, in that binary mode where you're saying, oh, where does fantasy points have this guy? Oh, he's number 18 vis-a-vis this guy who's number 25. So number 18 should always be the pick. Make sure you realize the difference between high upside and floor. And if if, if, on Fantasy Pros, ranking floor guys higher was always a a way towards success for me, even if there were players that I liked better. Um, But especially in best ball, you don't want to just look at those rankings in a binary way and say, 18 is better than 23, so I'm taking number 18. Many times it is like that. But sometimes you want to be looking out for those spike weeks vis-a-vis looking out for the floor play. And, and that, that is the way you, can, you should approach rankings. We need to rank, Scott. We need to project for the full season. Everybody wants the, oh, I have him for uh, 1,030 receiving yards, and I have this guy for 875. But is the guy who has 875 going to give you three games of 150 when the guy who has 1,030 give you, give you mostly 60-yard games every week? And that, that's the way to kind of look at rankings. And I think people know this, but I, I always joke that a draft doesn't start for me until I've already bastardized my own rankings. You know, I've, I've taken exactly. my running back 14 over my running back 11, and I realize I have to go back into my rankings and change things. You know, it's it's not like we are slaving over every person, you know, who, who's next to each other and decided. I definitely prefer wide receiver 15 over wide receiver 16. It's all fluid. It's a process. I change mine all the way up until kickoff. And, you know, sometimes for the better, sometimes for the worse. But I, I think you... 
gave the uh, the listeners some peek behind the curtain and some really good advice there. We've been talking with Joe Dolan from FantasyPoints.com. Uh, Joe, let us know how we can keep up with you during the football season. Well, just follow me on Twitter at FG underscore Dolan. Um, that's for fun guy, Dolan. Um, and uh, and uh, Sirius XM Radio, uh, Sirius 210 XM 87. I do the game day show on Sundays. Um, fantasypoints.com for sure. I'm on the Ross Tucker Fantasy Feast podcast. So there's a lot of ways to uh, to, to follow my content. Right now, I, Scott, I have been working exclusively on Fantasy Points Draft Guide, which has over 100 profiles from Greg Cosell, Devi rankings from our guy Wes Huber, um, great stuff from Scott Barrett in there as well. We're going to have a mock draft. Um, so I've been working exclusively on editing that and getting that up. And, and I think we're going to have some amazing dynasty content and also great content for people who don't necessarily play fantasy, but are, but are, but love the NFL draft. I think that, that kind of content that that's going to launch, uh, in early April. So I'm really excited about that. Yeah. I'm glad you brought up Cosell. Who's, I mean, he, as far as I'm concerned, he's the best at what he does. And I know he's been part of your family for a while, your fantasy family. And, and also, I mean, the Ross Tucker is just a, a juggernaut of content, a really good guy, obviously played in the league um, and, and is conversant in just about any football topic. I'm, I'm a big fan of Ross Tucker. I'm really glad that you stepped into that role a couple of years ago when, when Evan Silva went on the different things. It was incidentally my last guest on this podcast. We only give you the best. You know, you want to talk to Silva, you want to talk to Dolan, you come here to the Yahoo Fantasy Football forecast. And of course, we have a lot of podcasts. If that's your thing, your college sports guy, March Madness, anyone? The Yahoo Sports College podcast is going on with Wetzel Thamel and our old friend Pat Forty of Sports Illustrated. That's a great show. Chris Haynes is kicking ass on our NBA podcast. So you want to check those shows out. You can follow us on Twitter at Yahoo Fantasy. I am Scott underscore Pianowski, or you can follow Fun Guy Dolan. I like that. I like how you spun the FG. Fun Guy Joe Dolan on Twitter. Next uh, show later this week will be the Matt Harmon show. I'm, I don't know who he's going to be talking to, but it'll be a good show, I'm sure. Uh, I'll be back in two weeks. I have a really great guest lined up. I hope we'll be as good as Joe was today for Joe Dolan. For our producer, Ragu, keeping us on the air and sounding great, I'm Scott Pianowski. Straight cash, homie. We are out.